started. I hate to break the party up, but let's go ahead and uh, get rolling. We got some good good stuff that comes out of God's Word this morning. So uh, uh, before we begin, it's our custom to uh, begin with prayer to get ourselves ready to study the Word of God. We've been looking at the divine institutions. We see it as four. And um, it's not that that's a particular doctrinal position, that's just how it breaks down, uh, simply. Volition, the first one, marriage, the second one, family, the third one, and nations, the fourth one. And if you notice the sign coming in, it says, why nations? Why should we have nations? And Genesis 11 is part of the answer to that, why we have nations, why God prescribed national entities to exist. And so this is an important passage, just like it's all profitable. It's what the Scripture says. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable. And this portion is very good because it talks to us about God's overall plan. It's kind of the, the view at 30,000 feet going through here. What has God got in mind for the administration of the world until the Lord himself comes back? So it's important to know, especially when it's under assault, because the, anything that has divine attached to it is under assault in our, in our uh, national entity, actually around the world. They want you to believe that you're not responsible for your decisions, the environment is. And they want you to believe that uh, marriage between one man and one woman is not really a good thing, that you ought to be able to marry anything you want. I guess you could marry a tree if, it, if, it, if you wanted to. Um, and then family, oh, well, we got to spread a family out, and families aren't good, and families bring it with it a lot of times religion, and this religion is all bad, and so they're going after the family unit, and nations, yeah, they want all the borders open all over the world. They want to tear down the walls between the nations all over the world is what they want to do, because once you do that, then it's open for a one-world government. And that's where they're headed. Satan is a globalist, very clearly. And we're going to see that uh, taught in, it, at its outset, at its stages, in, in these particular nine verses of Genesis chapter 11. We're at verse 4 this morning. But before we begin, let's get ready by prayer. Present ourselves in front of the throne of grace. Push all the junk away. <laughs> And just go in front of the throne and ask the Lord to show us what this portion says. Let's pray. Father, again, we can't thank you enough for all that you have done for us. The love that you have poured out upon us through the Beloved. Father, the opportunity to come into your presence, into your throne room. Father, the privilege of spending eternity with you. Father, we cannot thank you enough for all the blessings that you've already poured out upon us. So, Father, I pray as we open up your word this morning, we will get a better picture of how you have designed things and how you want things to be done. So, Father, we pray for enlightenment. We pray for concentration. We pray for remembrance. And we pray for uh, wisdom to know how to use this information to the praise of your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, we're at uh, Genesis 11. This is the Tower of Babel. And, of course, that is an actual photograph of the Tower of Babel. Not. <clears throat> but anyway, what? 
It's not on the screen. We got to change the source. Okay. It should pop up somewhere. All right, we got it. That's it. All right, that's why we. This is the table of the patriarchs as to when they live based on dates that are derived from Scripture. We assume that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. So when it mentions a historical event, when it mentions a date, when it mentions a length of years of uh, particular people, how long they lived, when they lived, and all that, then we accept that as inspired of God. And if you track that, you find out that, that uh, Adam fell... And then 1,656 years later was the flood. Check all these numbers out. They're easy to check out. And then you start moving your way forward because you find out from the flood to the birth of Abraham was 350 years. From the promise to Abraham to the giving of the law was 430 years, Galatians 3.17. From the giving of the law to the fourth year of Solomon was 480 years from 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 1. And we're able to put all the dates of the ancient world together from that fourth year of Solomon. It's a very important date. And uh, when they first realized that date, they actually came out with about 10,000 uh, or 1,004, 5,003, something like that. Bishop Usher was off by about 40 years. And the reason he was off by about 40 years because they had the fourth year of Solomon misdated. They were later able to make that correction. So that, does, that means that uh, unlike Bishop Usher that had uh, the creation of the world at 6 p.m. April 1st, 4004 B.C., you can't date it with that precision. But what you can realize is that, it's, that the fall of Adam started around 3960 B.C. It's about 44 years off, and that puts everything in a perfect sequence and lines it up. 965 is where you start connecting the dots with the other nations because Assyria kept tremendous records. They came from Sumer. Sumer had a great amount of written documents that were part of who they were. They were defeated by the old Babylonian kingdom around 1400, around the time of Moses. Then they were taken over by the Assyrians uh, along about 1020, 1025 in the time of Saul. And then the Assyrians lasted until 605 when the Neo-Babylonians, the ones under Nebuchadnezzar, took them over and then the Persians took them over and the Greeks took them over and the Romans took them over. So that's what happened to that area between the Tigris-Euphrates River Valley. Now, these are the dates that we can assign biblically for the uh, lifespans, the birth and death of these particular patriarchs until we get to uh, the time of Noah. Verse 1, we've already been through this. The whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it says, in the, it came about as they journeyed east. From where? From Ararat. That's the context where the ark came to rest. They, they started multiplying there and then they journeyed east. And it says they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They found a piece of flat land. It is what it is saying. Settle there as Yashab means basically to put down tent stakes. 
So when they lifted up the tent stakes, Nassau, that's what happened. When they left that particular area around Ararat, they pulled the tent pegs. They moved to another place and they put the tent pegs down in this land of Shinar. And they said to one another, come, this is a word of urgency. It says, come on, let's do it. It's just like when you're getting ready to go to the store and waiting on everybody in your household. And you go, come on. This is kind of a come on that is, that is going. It says, come and let us, make, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they use brick for stone and they use tar for mortar. And this is where we left off. And they said, come, that's the same word we just saw denoting urgency. Let us build for ourselves a city. They didn't want to move around anymore. Now look at what they said collectively. This is their thought process. <clears throat> and a tower. A tower is the migdol. It's a word used 50 times. It looks at guard towers primarily. Uh, they frequently build a migdol to watch over sheep because they could get up high enough. They could see them as they're roaming around out in the fields and things. And it's uh, used as a guard tower and a military installation around various cities. So that this, you could say this is a, it's not just a tower, it's a guard tower that they have in mind and what they're doing. It says, whose top will reach into heaven. Literally, it says, and its head in the heavens. And let us make for ourselves, this is asa, manufacture something out of something. It's not bara, used in Genesis 1-1 to make something out of nothing. This is let us make something out of something. Let us make for ourselves a name. Now, name is the word shem. Uh, it's actually the name of one of Noah's sons, uh, which is shem. But they have journeyed together, and it's interesting, Shem is still alive, therefore he's still with them when this happens. Uh, Noah is still alive and with them. Uh, Arpachshad is still alive, and he is with them, because it says the whole earth moved to this area. Now, what, what has happened? Let us make for ourselves... A, now, a lot of times you could say, if, it, if a verse said, let us make for ourselves a name... They're talking about a reputation. There, it's a quest for significance. We want to be important. Let us make for ourselves a name or a reputation. However, when you're the only people on the planet, who do you have to make a reputation for? You don't. Make for ourselves a name. They must be referring to something like the name. They want to make their own God is what they want to do. Let's make for ourselves a name. There's other things they could said, could have said there that they were simply talking about reputation, but it would not have fit. So this is, uh, they're wanting to make them the, uh, God for themselves. Lest, this is a conjunction fin. It's used to denote something prohibited uh, because uh, we fear it and we want it removed. Lest we be scattered abroad Footst, <laughs> I love that, P-H-U-T-Z, means to scatter abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now look at what their thoughts are collectively as they have moved to a place, a flat place. They want to put down their roots there. They want to build a city, and they want to build a tower. Now the verse reveals the collective thought of the group. It allows for small groups of individuals 
to not subscribe to the, to the viewpoint. Uh, it's a, a metonymy, as they would call it. It's describing the majority, the collective idea, the democratic idea, if you would. And that's what they want to do. There's, it allows for other groups to do that. Many towers were built throughout the ancient world called ziggurats. And they were supposed to get them closer to their God. This is what we find out from other literature as well. They were built in stages. They often had the zodiac painted on their ceilings. So they were able to track things because they watched the stars. They watched the movement of the stars. They'd know when to plant. they know when to harvest. They knew the stars would start in this one spot, the dog star. And you can find places all over the planet that have uh, a marker where the dog star is at the solstice. And they know when, when, the, when the equinoxes are. They know when the longest day is, the shortest day. They were able to figure that out pretty, pretty quick. I find it interesting people think, well, these are just Stone Age cave people back there, and they just were so excited when they figured out what a wheel was. I think they figured out what a wheel was. I think Adam figured that out a long time ago. You could get from this point to this point carrying a heavy load if you had wheels underneath it. It didn't take uh, rocket scientists to do that. And uh, remember, Adam already was made with a complete vocabulary. He, could already na he named all the animals. So he was made that way in order to do that. So they built in stages. They had the zodiac on their ceilings. They were able to track the motion of the stars. And you, you can find that not just in, in those places. You can find that in uh, South America with the Incas and the Mayans and stuff. The Stonehenge has the same type of thing on it. They could track those. Went inside the Shui Dagon one time in Yangon, Burma. And inside the main gate to the right was their lunar zodiac that they worshipped all the signs of the zodiac. I didn't realize Buddhists worshipped the zodiac, but they indeed did. And I should have realized it, but when I walked in the gate, I knew... Yeah, okay, this makes sense that that's what they would do. They believe in reincarnation, some transmigration of souls. It would make sense that they would worship the zodiac. Now, the Lord put the stars there for signs and for seasons. Okay? They had a meaning to them originally, and uh, uh, that is, is taught by ancient tradition. But then that meaning got destroyed and altered. So there was a need to put it all in writing. Uh, they were built in stages. Often in the, the Temple of Marduk is the most famous, probably the original, about 300 feet by 300 feet by 300 feet. That's pretty good. Three football, 300 feet is a football field, 100 yards. So it's about a football field wide, uh, high, and long. That's about how big this thing was. It's also known as Esagilia, um, and it has other names that go into Menachi is another name. We'll see in a minute. And it means the temple that raises its head. The evidence indicates that the mob, and that might be what you call them, this collective group, uh, group thought, the mob must have decided they needed a place to escape the next flood. That's why they're going to build a guard tower. Why are they going to build a guard tower for who are they protecting themselves against? They're it. After the flood, they're it. But they've decided they needed protection. They've decided they needed a high place 
to get away from some type of approaching danger, and they wanted to come together as a one-world government, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. The culture was an outright rebellion against God, because what was God's command to know after they left the ark? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Now, to do that, you got to fill the earth. you got to go. Geographically, you got to leave. You have to leave Ararat to go fill the earth. That's, ha- that's the only way that it could be done. And they said, lest we be scattered abroad. See, they've re- there's a rebellion there, an underlying rebellion against the Almighty. And maybe they didn't like him. Maybe they thought he was mean. After all, he did wipe out a whole planet, except for eight people, because they didn't follow his will. Maybe they thought they'd figure out a way to get away from him through their own, through their own means. I believe that they were enslaved by the fear of another flood and the arrogance of thinking they could save themselves. Now, when a person rejects God, then, then the only option for the future is figure out a way to save yourself. And we can see, we can see the, the elements of what we see at Babel called Babylonianism. We can see them alive and well today on planet Earth just as clearly as if we were, we were 3,000, 4,000 years ago. Just as clearly. We'll pick out the, the elements here in just a second. We think we could save themselves. Some people think they can take broken systems of political government and they're arrogant enough to make them think, well, we can make them work where nobody in the history of the world has been able to do that. Now, <clears throat> that's what we face now in a, in a lot of ways. They were seeking to make a God for themselves. Let us make a name. Let us make a shem for ourselves. Well, why do you na- need to make a shem when you already have a Elohim <laughs> who is the shem, the name above all names? The effort to build a tower to deliver oneself represents the efforts human expend trying to save themselves inside of every human being. And we know it because we believe the Bible. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Ecclesiastes 3.11 Everybody knows there's something beyond this life. When they come into existence, read some type of consciousness where they can look around and, and uh, see various things, feel various things, touch various things, and they, they, they know that there's something. I they know there's something beyond this life. I do not believe anybody's born an atheist. And they also need, know they're a mess up. How long does it take you to find out that you're a mess-up in this life? How long did it take your parents to correct you? You messed up something, right? Something wasn't done right. Everybody knows they're a sinner facing eternity, so there's only two solutions. Find a way to save yourself or find a savior. Christianity is so different. The spiritually mature individuals, because they had to be with them, had lost their influence to the more youthful, charismatic types. Now, who's still there? See, Noah's still alive. Because the Tower of Babel took place 100, 150 years after the flood, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. But who's still alive? Well, let's see. Noah lived 350 years after the flood. He lived just about to the time of the birth of Abram. 
Interesting to think about. Shem lived 500 years after the flood. He was alive. His son, uh, Arpachshad, was also alive. Look at those genealogies with the numbers in them. Because if the flood is around 2300 and the Tower of Babel is around 2150, okay, look at who was alive there uh, between at, at that time on earth. And Eber. We know these guys were all still alive at this point in time. But who was the leader? Now, I didn't go through all the way through chapter 10. We stopped at verse 5. I should have went verses 6 through 10, which is Nimrod. Who is their young, charismatic leader, a mighty hunter in the, uh, on the earth? He was there taking their place. They were replacing the old, the old guard, if you will, with a new postmodern uh, thinking. Uh, I don't know if you'd call them millennials or not. I don't know what you'd call them. But there was a new type of thinking that was taking things and twisting them around. These guys were the old fogies. <clears throat> you know, can you see Noah? Noah is, Noah is uh, at this point in time, Noah is about 750 years old. He probably looked better than a lot of us, but he's still <laughs> about 750 years old at this point in time. Shem was born 100 years before that, so he's about 250 is all that, that Shem is at this point in time. But here were the old guys hanging on to the old God and their old ways. But the Zodiac that came by tradition from Adam to Enoch to Noah and through the flood through Shem was getting a new interpretation. Hey, let's put a new zodiac in the heavens. Let's reinterpret it. Let's change what the signs mean. Now, this could have been led by a guy named Canaan, K-A-I-N-A-N. Canaan's name is omitted in this genealogy, but it's included in the Septuagint. Uh, as per some traditions. They think that he is uh, part uh, of this. Some of the ancient traditions, though, when you track them back, say that this guy named Canaan is the one that started reinterpreting the Zodiac and led the groups astray because we talked about Eber and his two sons, Pelig and Joktan, and they went in different directions. Whenever you go into the New Testament, you find this guy named Canaan added in. But it doesn't change the lengths of how long they, they lived. Now, <clears throat> they're the same signs because the same 12 major signs are still found in all the cultures of the world, but they're taking on new meanings, being redefined, being called different things. And so the sin, see, notice they're going to make a city and a tower. Why have this fear? Why want to make another god? They didn't like the one that they had. Uh, the sins found the attitude, though, not the action, because it's not a sin to build a city. God does it. So it's not a sin to build a city. He made a city for Abram that he knew whose building was from God. He, he knew about that. Uh, the sin, though, is the attitude that they had about it. This is the foundation of the first United Nations. It's the beginning of Babylonianism. 
and that will extend into the tribulational period. It's interesting the the way the Bible unfolds and the way it folds back up. Genesis 1, creation of the heavens and the earth. Revelation 21-22, destruction of present heavens and earth, creation of a new heavens and the earth. When you start going through there, you find the the fall of Satan early on because he showed up in the garden of fallen creature. And then you find Revelation 20, you find Satan cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. So you, you find an unfolding of the scripture taking us up to to Babylon here in Genesis 11. And what's Revelation in 18 and 19 about? Babylons, the two Babylons. And there is history folding back up. That's what happens until we get the new heaven and the, and the new earth. So in verse 5, we have the Lord's observation. It says, in the Lord, this is Yahweh used here, Yahweh came down. Now, this is the first, this word, Yarod, it's the first of, a, of 379 usages. Uh, it means to come down or to descend. It indicates, since Yahweh did it, it's a theophany. It's a manifestation of God. Phani is, epiphania is the word that means to manifest. And a theos is God. So it's a God manifestation is what uh, theologically they call it. Uh, probably a lot like the visitor to Abraham in Genesis 18 in route to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Very much the same type of thing. So he says, Yahweh came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men, it says literally the sons of the man, takes them back to the, the fallen nature in Adam when you see the man put in there like that. Back to the fallen nature in Adam which they had built. The sons of the man had built. Now see, these results, these actions were a result of our fallen nature in Adam. Our fallen nature in Adam's in rebellion against God. And without a stop put on it, a personal check, a self-discipline, then what happens? It runs its course. What happened prior to the flood? All men's thoughts were only evil continually. What happened after the, thought, the flood? They were headed in the same direction. And God said, I promised never to destroy the world again with water. But he's got other tricks up his sleeve, if you will, to slow down our stupidity. Now, <clears throat> they completed the tower, but not the city, which shows the urgency with which they began this pro- project. How do I know that? I read ahead. Okay, <laughs> because it says the tower was completed, the city was not completed. Okay, in verse 8, it, it tells us that. The place to escape was more important than the place to settle. Think about this. They wanted a place to escape more than they wanted a place to settle down. So they focused on the tower first for protection, to build themselves a name, and then the city later. They had violated God's directive will to go to all parts of the earth, and they were about to witness his overruling will. Because what was the plan to Noah? Genesis 9, just like it was to Adam. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Just like to Adam, it was given to Noah, 
and his three sons to do that. So they weren't going to do this. So God's overruling will uh, takes over. Anybody think of another time maybe when people were, they all came together? And it was such a joyous, happy time. And they decided that they wouldn't go into all the nations and preach the gospel to every living creature. Right after the day of Pentecost, right? Day of Pentecost, they'd all come together in Jerusalem. They got saved. And they said, we're just going to wait. But what was the Great Commission? Leave. <laughs> what did they not do? Leave. What did God force them to do in 70 A.D.? Leave. So he gives us directions. And sometimes if we don't pay attention, he enforces those things with his overruling will. It says they had their head in the heavens. And because they had their head in the heavens, a heavenly visitor chose to visit them. He already knew what was going on, by the way. Yahweh, Elohim, is not a finite personage person. He, he is the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God. He manifests himself. He can, because that's who he is. Different places, different times, different ways. That's what he's able to do. And still not... De diminish his omnipresence at all. You have to think through that one for a while, but that's what he that's what he does. Now, the Lord has granted mankind the freedom to pursue a course of action contrary to his will. That's what isn't that teaching volition once again? Once again, man has been given the ability to decide to disobey God. So they are disobeying God. They are flagrantly disobeying God. We're going to put down our tent stakes here and build the city with a tower in the heavens. So go ahead and send that water if you want to. Okay, Go ahead and do that if you feel like you can, you can uh, do that. Because we're, we're going to make our own name, our own reputation. Now in verse 6, it says, And the Lord, Yahweh, said, Behold, they are one people. And they all have the same language. Now that's the way that they made them. We looked at that last week. Possibly an ancient form of Sanskrit. That's what they, because that seems to be the common language from which a whole lot of others came out of. Um, and that's part of what anthropologists do is try and track these uh, languages and the development of languages and where they, where they come from. He says, Behold, they are one people, they all have the same language, and, it's an adverb, literally means a now, this is what they began to do. Do is our word manufacture. This is what they began to manufacture. And <clears throat> this refers to the name they wanted to make for themselves, and not the city, because the city is... Banad, it's a different word. But what it says, let us asa a shem for ourselves. So this is what they're talking about here. When they get ready to build a city, bana is the word for construction task and building. They're trying to manufacture their own deliverance. And he says, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Purpose to do is our word zamam. It's the first of 13 times 
It's an interesting word that means to lie in wait. It means to plot. It means to conspire. Where someone has brought false charges against someone else, there's a false witness. That's what the, that word purpose there has a negative connotation to it. It's only used 13 times, and it's pretty clear what the meaning is. It's nothing that they purpose to do or conspire to do. It would be a great translation, uh, which is what I did with the literal translation, will be impossible for them. Now, this is the word batsar. It's used 37 times, first usage, and it means to cut off in the sense of gathering grapes or to fence in or to wall off or off limits. So impossible is a translation basically is an indicator of their, their power. It's an indicator of freedom. He says, I gave them the freedom to do all of these things, and now they'll be able to do about anything for them. So the Lord had his observations recorded for all of history to consider. When this was inspired by, through Moses to write down, then what do we have? We have guaranteed accuracy. Guaranteed accuracy of what is written down under the doctrine of inspiration, that what Moses is inspired to write down is, is accurate. And the Lord said, I want everybody to know what's going on here. I want to see it from a divine perspective. I want them to see it from the world's perspective. It's a very clear contrast between the divine and, and the world that is there. His permissive will has declared nothing they conspire to do will be off limits for them. Now, <clears throat> that would include a little bit of everything, wouldn't it? This is the post-flood civilization that comes along. What about um, cloning? Permissible? Space travel. Yeah, of course, some people think we just went to Arizona, but that's okay. Space travel. Space travel is not off limits. Uh, God gave us <laughs> dominion over all the works of his hands. I think that in might include the moon or something like that. How about weapons? When you start looking at freedom, God gave us the freedom to develop these things. To learn these things. Nothing will be impossible for them. Now, how about evil? Yeah. That's where the problem comes in. They have mankind as the freedom to make decisions that are nothing but evil and to become more evil. Because it's interesting, weapons are not all bad. It's kind of like a gun. Now, I've never seen a gun just jump up and shoot somebody. Than capable of doing that. It's the motivation of the one pulling the trigger that is where the problem comes in because guns are used for self-protection. Guns are used to gather food. Seems like Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord and there wasn't any condemnation put on that. So there's, there is, um, these weapons are, it's just like a knife. Knife is a good illustration. You take a knife out as a knife Evil, I know if you were Crocodile Dundee, you'd say, that's not a knife. Okay, not big enough. I've got bigger ones at the house. Okay, <laughs> that's not a knife. Anyway, the, a knife, see, it's good we cut food with it. There's all kinds of good things we do with a knife. But if you start cutting other people with it, it's not good. The Greek makes clear distinctions. 
between a kakos, inherently evil, and a panoiros, that which becomes evil because of its use. The same thing in the, with the word good is a kalos. It's inherently good in and of itself, like jealous, joy, peace, patience. And agathos means it becomes good by means of its use. Different distinctions in the word. This word is poneros and agathos. It can be used for evil. It can be used for good. It is not inherently good, kalos, and it is not inherently evil, kakos. Same thing with a weapon. Same thing with, with a gun. How about a car? Same type of thing. God said, okay, go for it here. You can do this, but he says, I'm going to stop some things. Because just because we have the freedom to do something doesn't mean it's always a good idea. Nor does it always mean it's a bad idea. What about automobiles? Well, pretty good idea, seems like to me, to develop that. Some people, of course, say, well, it's killing the planet. Don't think so. The, the planet's not in our hands. We should be wise stewards without question, no argument about that. But we are not the ones that sustain the planet. The Almighty does. Airplanes, uh, God would have meant man to fly to giving them wings. I'm sure you've heard that one before, and then you're Prometheus, you fly too close to the sun, your wings melt, and there you go. Uh, we have the freedom to sin, but it's not a good idea to do such thing. We had the freedom to jump off a cliff, but without a parachute, it's just not wise. <laughs> All things are lawful, not all things are profitable. So it takes wisdom to figure out which one is which. Now, it's a statement of divine operating policy that God gives here, meaning that mankind is given permission to take technology, human good, and evil to new levels. I believe it's part of the angelic conflict to let freedom run its course. The technology... Where did that come from? Burnt bricks. Let us take these bricks, make these bricks, and burn them. Now, why do that? Because that'll help make them waterproof. Because mud bricks aren't. And we have ample evidence all over the world right now in places like Africa and India and, and some of the third, so-called third world countries, mud bricks don't last long. And they sure won't last 1,500 years like some anthropologists say they will. But they said, come, here's this word again, urgency. Let us go down and there confuse their language. Let us as the Godhead, making a divine decision in counsel with each other, like let us make man in our own image, where that plural is used, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they're confused. This is the word balal. First of 43 usages found in the Old Testament. And it means to mix or mingle together by the addition of ingredients. Okay? So this is a, a balal, like when you make a cake and you start putting all this stuff into a bowl. Okay? You put all in a bowl, you add some liquid fluid water, milk, you mix it all up, and then you do something with it. He says, okay, we're going to mix it up. We're going to add some ingredients into this thing called language. Let us confuse their language, which is the word safa, which means lip, 
little different word than we had, that they may not understand one another's speech. I find it interesting people speak English. We oftentimes can't understand each other just based on the dialect. I had a friend that went on a mission trip with us to Africa one time. They were going to a village. I probably told this a hundred times. Forgive me if I did, but the guy said, this village is really weird. He said, in this village, the men speak one language, women speak another language. <laughs> and this, this pastor, this guy reminds me of uh, Peter Lorre, dead, dry. He says, well, they do that all over the United States. <laughs> Just kept right on, <laughs> kept right on walking. And that's true. We have oftentimes different vocabularies. And depending on what part of the country you're coming from, uh, the Northeast has got its own accent. The Southeast has got its own accent. Oklahoma's all to itself. Texas is pretty close. But you can have trouble understanding other people from different parts, even of the country with the same language. Now look at the different languages that we have there. That they may not understand the overruling will of God. Now look what he did. Decided to install new languages. Language development was not an evolutionary issue. Think about this. Because they say, well, these things just evolved out of the different hominids that developed in different parts of the, the earth. Then, no, it, that's not what happened. Look what God says. They went and overruled the memory centers. It's kind of like they took one Rosetta Stone program out and put another one in. Okay? That's, that's what they did. They installed another one. Now, how hard is it to change a language? Well, you can actually just change a few things. That's why a lot of, that most languages have nouns, verbs, adverbs, direct objects, indirect objects. That's part of the figures, uh, part of the parts of speech that we learn sometimes back in high school. And we hate having to go through it, but it's really very important. That's how languages are put together. And you can change the, the lips. The L's, the labials, the dentals, and the gutturals. You just change those around a little bit, and you've got another language. When you have an omniscient God, and he's got several thousand people, 100,000 to it. We don't know how many people were there, but it's not a problem to do that. We know there were 70 nations, because we've already been through Genesis 10. There's 70 nations, so it's what he's saying here is, there's 70 different languages that he started after the flood. He uses this overruling will, not just to influence or discipline, but to protect. Because why does he scatter them out with different languages? To protect them from themselves. Think about it. Protect them from themselves. He's displaying grace to the rebellious at the same time keeping his word about not bringing another flood to destroy the earth. He's not the author of confusion. So the confusion of the universal language is a judgment on the confusion of soul that they're going through. But he doesn't leave them alone by themselves. He puts them with other people, part of their family that becomes a different nation, and he puts them with people that they can understand. But now you've got 70 different languages going on at the Tower of Babel. <clears throat> they used to speak one language, now there's 70 languages. So what would you do? Wouldn't you start looking for your family members? 
Somebody that spoke the same language. You know, if you wanted the kid to take out the garbage, you're not going to ask the neighbor to do that because you don't speak the same language anymore. The individual languages were not confused as people could communicate with people of their own family. So it wasn't that the, the Sanskrit or whatever it was, it may have been the original, but the Eastern Semitic, the Western Semitic, and a lot of the Babylonian, the Assyrian languages, different languages like that. They could communicate with their own family, and that, those languages had a structure and an order to them. Because the word davar means a word. So you change the definition of words, you change the way that they're spelled. If you look at... Um, uh, if you, you study any languages along the way, you, you'll, you're amazed at how close they are in a lot of respects to each other. That <clears throat> people look at Hebrew and they go, oh, that's a tough language to learn. You know how Hebrew works? They have nouns. <laughs> they have verbs. They have direct objects. They have indirect objects. That's what they have. They have adverbs in there, just like we have in English. What's scary about Hebrew? The alphabet, because it's different. Once you learn the alphabet, though, the language works similar to most other languages. We normally put noun, verb, object. They put the verb first. They like the verbs to go first. They put verb, noun, or uh, subject, and then object to follow. And if they change that word order, you go, well, the God has got a reason for redoing the word order. So we need to pay attention to it. But it's much, they work much the same. Greek is much the same. It is, the word is used based on its grammatical structure. Because there are different ways to record an accusative, a direct object. A nominative, which is a noun. A genitive is a, has another ending on it. A dative has another ending on it. So you look at what the ending is, you figure out what part of speech it is and whether it is a subject, verb, or object. That's, that's the way that those languages work. And <clears throat> now, this is what he, he, he has confused them, but they could still communicate. And then it says in verse 8, so the Lord scattered. He foots them in the hiphil. I love it. He caused to scatter them. <laughs> he, he, he was a cause behind spreading them out. The them as the entire population of the world at that point in time located at one place. The whole earth used one. Didn't that what the, the words say? The whole earth used? Go back through and read the words again. And then he says he scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth. And they, which is the bulk of the population, stopped. Kadal. They forsake, forsaked it. They forsook it. They left. They ceased. That's that word, kadal. Building the city. See, that's the verse I looked ahead to a while ago. They finished the tower, but they didn't finish the city. So the Lord struck the arrogance they had, we're going to make our own name for ourselves, with a physical problem. And that's one of the key ways that he gets people's attention. Earthquakes. Did God know about earthquakes? Did he cause them? Did he set things in motion to cause them? Or was it Mother Nature? Tornadoes. 
It's fascinating, having lived in Oklahoma all my life, to see what he does with a tornado. And we don't know all the ins and outs. Some of it is undeserved suffering. Some of it is deserved suffering. You can count on it being both of them somewhere, somehow, to different people. Okay, You can see that, but we're not smart enough to figure out who it is. That's in his hands. But to see what he does with tornadoes, we remember the May 3rd tornado of 99. Those of us who lived around here, and the thing was a mile wide and, and cut a swath from Chickasha to Stroud, leveraging, every, leveraging and, and leveling everything in its path. And I looked at that, and we watched it happening on the TV. Here's the tornado going over a chunk of moor, and behind it is nothing except rubble. And you're wondering... How many thousands of people are going to die there? How many? 43. Now it's sad that 43 people died. But only 43 people died. And if you watched it, you were wondering, this could take thousands of people out based on what it did. And yet, who's still in charge? When you saw some of the destruction afterward, how do you take a car, a normal-sized car, and put it in a ditch that's two feet wide and four feet deep, and it all just is mashed down in there? How do you do that? Unless you're God. That's what he has the power to do. He does it to get people's attention. The floods, the droughts, the economic disaster, you read all the way through the Bible, are frequently brought for divine discipline to get people's attention. Different languages would cause them to congregate into groups where they could communicate. God, who does things honorably and according to an organized structure, chose to connect the language and genetics of the families. The very thing they feared, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth, had come upon them. Isn't that the way it frequently is? The city building was no longer a worldwide effort. It's left to be finished by Nimrod and his family. That was what was going on. We've run out of time, and I'm just getting my throat cleared, but we're going to pick it up here next Sunday. Let's pray. Father, again, we're blessed, honored, privileged. We just don't know how to say thank you for who you are, what you have done for us, for the, for the beauty of your word. And just the clarity of it as well. Thank you for the words that you chose to communicate to us about the word. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.